Hello there, it's Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of the program, I got a buddy of mine uh, coming on the bottom of the hour, Stephen Lawson. You know, the race uh, that could decide the United States Senate is in Georgia. Herschel Walker, football fame. Uh, is running in Georgia against Raphael Warnock. Uh, There's a new outside group that has stepped up to take on Warnock, who the national media is coming to his aid. And not only uh, the national media, but uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are headed to Georgia to participate in the mythology of voter suppression by Republicans and denounce Republicans and try to make a case for passing H.R. 1 in the uh, Congress that horrible piece of legislation uh, that the Democrats want to pass, uh, but they got to get rid of the filibuster to pass. And, you know, it's, it's I, I got hate mail from someone who misheard me earlier on the radio. I was talking about um, the Electoral College Reform Act. There is a, a the piece of legislation is about three pages long, and it clarifies the Electoral College Act that was written in the 1800s. A lot of the legal arguments by Trump's team to overturn the election in 2020 were based on really a, a, a misreading of the Electoral College Act. And so this bipartisan group has put this forward and it clarifies those issues of misunderstanding. And there are votes in the Senate to pass it without having to get rid of the filibuster. Ten Republicans support it. But Chuck Schumer won't pass the legislation. He won't even bring it up for a vote. He won't even bring it to the floor. Why? Because he wants to pass H.R. 1 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, both of which are terrible pieces of legislation uh, and they're partisan. He doesn't want to actually fix the problem. He wants to claim there are other problems that need fixing. Uh, and so he won't actually clean things up because he wants the issue, he wants the campaign issue, he wants the grievance. That's what's happening. Now, uh, but Stephen's coming on the bottom of the hour to talk about all that stuff with me. Uh, so I want to spend some time on your calls now. Uh, first, Stacy, I want to go to you. Welcome to the program. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I was calling because um, I know uh, about a week ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, I think I heard you saying on the radio that it's not about controlling the people from either party, but mostly the Democrats. But with the legislation that Chuck Schumer is trying to push, getting rid of the filibuster so he can pass his H.R. 1, taking control from the states, I mean, that's a form of control. Well, yeah, but so I was I'm specifically talking about the COVID stuff. Uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I mean, and what to me is it's like in conjunction. For me, when they, you know, they, with all this fear mongering going on with COVID, and, you know, well, we couldn't get everybody that way, so let's try this way now. And I mean, they've been trying to push this HR1, I know that. But I mean, right. you know, but just to think that they're, they're not trying to control the people, I, I think. I, I just don't agree with you on that. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, I think so, so let's, let's nuance control. this one out, though, uh, Stacey. we got to nuance this one out so you, you get what I was actually saying. Yes, I mean, legislation laws are about controlling people's behavior. Uh, but what I was specifically pushing back on there is a lot of Republicans believe right now all of the federal government response, Dr. Fauci response and stuff, is really a heavy-handed attempt to control the American population at large. And I disagree with that. What I think it is is it's trying to control our behaviors on covid not generally, but specifically the reason is because they convinced themselves they could get rid of the virus and now they can't. And now they have to control our behaviors to essentially go through COVID theater and they can never get to COVID zero. They can't admit uh, 
that they can't. They can't admit they screwed up. They can't admit that we're going to have to deal with COVID for the rest of our lives. And that's why they're doing what they're doing on COVID policy. Now, to the other, yes, I agree with you there. I think you might have misunderstood me. Yes, those are about controlling elections so they can try to control outcomes. As much as Democrats say they've got to pass H.R. 1 to ensure Republicans don't tamper with elections, it's actually a Democratic attempt to tamper with elections at the federal level. For example, H.R. 1 would get rid of gerrymandering at the state level and and redistricting at the state level. But interestingly enough, uh, the uh, what the political index shows that actually redistricting is a wash this year that uh, Republicans and Democrats are kind of breaking even in redistricting. So you don't really need that provision unless you're just trying to whip things up. But, you know, the reality is H.R. 1 can't pass the House and the Senate. Uh, it's being used to stir grievances on the left and incentivize left-wing agitation out there. That's all it is. This is all theater for the Democrats right now. Uh, back to the Volans. Clinton, you're going to be next. Welcome. Okay. Hi there. Oh, I'm on now? Yep. Yeah, Eric, earlier you had an explanation as to why January 6th happened. Yep. And I was interested in a lot of the facts. Glad you got them out there, but that's not why it happened. January okay. 6th happened because the Democrats wanted it to. There was people there, angry, passionate, sure. But there was a lot of agitators there. There was buses pulled in. It was all organized by the Democrats. And your conversation with Stacey just a minute ago, that the control on just being COVID. No, COVID is only here because Russia didn't work. Hookers on the bed didn't work. The only reason COVID is here to begin with is to change voting laws, to change the way we vote. It's to give them complete control. That's what it's about. And until we understand that, then we're in big trouble. Well, Clinton, I, I, I would, I would like to thank you for re-impacting the concussion that I have. Uh, my brain hurts now. Wow. Uh, if you want to live your life in conspiracy land, you're free to do so. But facts and truth still matter. The truth is, while there were agitators, and undoubtedly there were Antifa people on Capitol Hill on January 6th, we all know who organized it. It was supporters of President Trump, and we all know who the people who stormed into the Capitol were. Yes, there were some Antifa. Overwhelmingly, however, it was not Antifa. It was supporters of President Trump, most of whom actually meant well. They just wanted to go in and see what was going on. But was Ashley Babbitt a member of Antifa? It's not what the record shows, not what her family says, not what the people around her said. And she was trying to smash glass down to let a mob in to grab members of Congress who were fleeing for their lives. That That's just the truth. Uh, if you can't handle the truth, I'm sorry, but I'm not here to entertain whacked out conspiracy theories. I'm, I'm here to tell you what the actual truth is. Uh, you, you know, a lot of people embrace conspiracy theories on planet Earth. Because either they, they don't like the way the world is, and so they got to explain it in a different way to make it make sense to them, or they, they've got to blame somebody else for the reality they're in, or, or they just think the world is far more complex than it actually is. Uh, the world is a very complex place, but oftentimes can be easily explained. Uh, and then the people who don't understand or embrace the easy explanations, they got to go down the rabbit hole into conspiracy land. And uh, uh, Clayton, I feel for you, man. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be insulting here with you. I just, I, 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 you're saying things that are just flat out not true and you clearly believe them. And I understand you believe them. I know people who believe them, but all I'm here to tell you is I'm sorry, man. It's, it's just, it's not the way it is. It's not the way the world works.
It's not true. As much as people want to believe that it was true, that somehow it was really the Democrats and Antifa. Uh, question, if it was really the Democrats and Antifa, uh, why are so many Republicans defending them then? I mean, because I remember after January 6th, a lot of Republicans said, well, actually, it was really Antifa that did this. Well, then why are so many Republicans now cheering it on and saying it was a good thing? If it was Antifa, shouldn't you be out there condemning it and demanding they be prosecuted? I mean, should, shouldn't, shouldn't we be demanding that they be prosecuted? If it was really Antifa, why, why aren't we? But a lot of people, a lot of Republicans aren't. So maybe it wasn't really Antifa. Now I got to move on to what I actually wanted to talk about. The mayor of Chicago, I got to play you this audio. This is the mayor of Chicago talking. This, yes, Lori Lightfoot, that mayor of Chicago. Listen to this woman talking about education. Enough is enough. We are standing firm and we are going to fight to get our kids back in in in-person learning. Period. Full stop. Enough of is is enough. We're standing firm. We are going to fight to get our kids back in in in-person learning. Full stop. You have the mayor of Chicago sounding like a Republican on education. For those of you unfamiliar, the teachers unions in Chicago are staging a walkout to force the schools to stay closed indefinitely unless the local school board agrees to stop in-person learning and go to remote learning. The San Francisco public school teachers unions are doing the same thing. And while San Francisco is not doing what Lori Lightfoot is doing, Lori Lightfoot, the highly progressive mayor of Chicago, sounds like a Republican. Why? Could it be that she knows what the polling shows? Could that be it? Democrats around the country are suddenly very much opposed to remote learning. You got all the all the TV talking heads now are saying, ah, we can't we can't go back to closing schools up. We, we just can't do that. We, we've got to, we've got to go back to school now. You had even the New York times did a massive story yesterday or day before yesterday, David Leinhardt's piece on the, uh, on the mental health problems. And it's just, it's, it's remarkable to hear people on the left now say we've got to stay in person. One of the people who did get the memo, though, interestingly enough, this this person on CNN listened to this. Dr. Regina Bissett-McCain, uh, she's the medical director at the McNair Campus Emergency Department in Houston. Uh, doctor, it is great to see you today. Well, let's just start right there. Uh, the president of the United States says schools are safe. The mayor of Chicago says schools are safe. The teachers union there says no. Uh, what is, should these kids be in school? I agree with the teachers union, to be honest, John. History repeats itself, and for some reason, we are not learning from our mistakes. When that Delta surge first started late summer, early fall, it did coincide with children going back to school. At that time, we also saw a record number of children getting infected and children being admitted to the hospital because being in school in close quarters is a high risk for transmission. Now we're introducing an even more transmissible variant into the mix, and the surge is going to continue to get worse if children go back to school right now. I, I, I can't believe CNN hasn't gotten the memo on this. Clearly, the Democrats are seeing the polling on this. That's why the mayor of Chicago is, is suddenly changed. But you got CNN still having guests on saying, no, no, keep kids out of school. 
Do you know, my kids went back to school without any COVID protocols in place this year, and there hasn't been a COVID outbreak there. In fact, I know very few people who have had COVID outbreaks in the schools, particularly in private schools, that didn't get a massive amount of government funding to clean things up. In fact, you've even got Democrats now realizing, wait a second, didn't schools get billions of dollars to put in place things to avoid the massive spread of COVID in schools? Where'd that money go? It went to bail out the teachers' unions, of course didn't actually get into the schools. That people don't realize this, uh, they're having a hard time, but clearly this is becoming a Republican issue. Do you know this literally is the first time in 40 years Republicans win on the polling question of which party is best able to handle education? If Republicans around this country do not create uh, a school choice as a new entitlement, they are insane. For years and years and years, Democrats have expanded government by creating entitlements and daring Republicans to take them away. And no Republican has ever taken away a single entitlement Democrats created, including Obamacare. Maybe it's time for Republicans to flip the script on its head and create school choices and entitlement that the money follows the kid, not goes to the school. So any parent can take the money the state governments pay for education and use that money to subsidize a private education. Give parents that choice and dare Democrats to take it away. You got Democrats around the country already campaigning against charter schools. Let parents get their kids into private schools with government money and watch the backlash to Democrats nationwide. Republicans are insane if they do not make school choice their entitlement issue and give it to parents and dare the Democrats to take it away. I was scrolling through Instagram during the commercial break and a friend of mine had up a a shot of someone says, you want to hear a joke? A pedophile and a convicted felon walked into a bar. They wouldn't let the unvaccinated guy in. (laughs) True. It's absurd. It actually is so absurd. Let's go to the phones. Luke, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Eric, uh, I I just really want to thank you. I thank you for choosing your individual life's choices um, through the life you've been given, ups, downs, and everything, um, to limit or eliminate the filters that life tries to put in us. And you not only see God's gifts that he gives you or inspires you through, you actually use them uh, accordingly. So I just really, really uh, am blessed to hear your voice every day, and thank you for letting me use a second. Um, I think that's really the main point is each each person's choices are their individual choices. So whether – or not, it was a year ago, whether it was Antifa or QAnon, uh, each individual person had to make their choice whether or not they were on a side or even act badly. Uh, I think a lot of times we like to blame whichever screen we watch for the truth that we believe in, and that truth actually does shine through whether we tell the truth or not. So to blame the group instead of the individual, you know, whether, like I said, whether it was last November, last January 6th, or even this January 6th today, which screen you watch, or even this coming November, it's each individual, and there's a fine line between choices and decisions. Uh, Choices are options. Once you've made a decision that, you know, it, it, you know, that's what you chose. Yeah, that, that's well said. Luke, listen, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for the kind words. Yeah, uh, individual responsibility. You know, this this is kind of the thing that I I say all the time that we've got to, on left and right, respect the individual. But, you know, there's a real movement on the left. But you see this growing now on the right intellectually uh, that the collective needs to have greater say over the individual, which I think is a terrible thing. 
Now, I tell people all the time, the reason I'm a conservative is because I'm a Christian, and I understand all of us are sinners, and so I want as few in charge of me as possible. On the left, however, they tend to devalue the individual in favor of the collective, and for the longest time, the right has valued the individual over the collective, which I think is is the better option, although in both cases, sometimes you, you do have to understand that the collective need of society. That's why we have things like eminent domain in the Constitution where, you know, sometimes the government really does have to take a private person's property to construct a road for everyone's use or something like that. You may not like that, but it's it's the truth. Sometimes you have to do that. There's a balance, uh, and I just think the balance is so out of whack right now. Uh, we no longer give individuals responsibility. We give them to the collective. And so when you say something like Antifa is responsible, what about each of the individuals who is there, whether they were Antifa or not, regardless of where we're talking about? the riots in the streets and the like. Individuals have to take responsibility for their own actions. Right now, on the left, we have this growing, burgeoning idea of critical theory that uses intersectionalism where each of us belongs to a group and we're not allowed out of that group. And anytime we try to assert ourselves individually, uh, we're condemned an attack. I, I played the audio before. I don't need to play it again right now. The teacher in Los Angeles who got pulled over by the uh, Hispanic police officer. And the woman attacked him, said, you're trying to be white. You're trying to be white. You're a murderer. You're a murderer by being a police officer. This was a teacher. And told him you could, essentially told the guy, you can try to be white, but you'll always be nothing more than a Mexican. That's critical theory. The idea that you can never ascend your class and place. You're either victim or victimizer. And unfortunately, we see too much of this breaking into conservative thought now. We are in postmodern times where there is no truth. It's your truth and my truth, which is nonsense. There is real truth whether people like it or not. And this whole idea of it's all about power and who's got power and who doesn't power, that's critical theory, uh, balancing power, uh, trying to, to assess someone's motives to assess whether they're right or not. Someone can be either right or wrong in a statement regardless of what their motives are. And yet now everybody on every side wants to guess everybody's motives. My gosh, I get this all the time in conservative media now when I defy the talking points that, that are out there that so many conservatives on the radio talk about. I say, no, this really isn't true. Like, What's his angle? What's his angle? Well, why is he doing this? Well, I'm doing it because it's I believe in truth. Not because I'm trying to, to bypass someone, stab somebody in the back or, or do something else or get a job or promotion or what. It's just truth is truth. But people on left and right have embraced postmodernism. And in postmodernism, above all else, performance outweighs results. And that's what we're seeing in Washington with this January 6th stuff. It's they are performing on television today. They could get results. They could fix the problems, but they don't want to fix the problems. They want to perform and they want to fundraise and they want to cause grievance. They don't want to actually do anything real. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me, and forgive me, Father, I might have sinned. I didn't realize my next guest was from Tallahassee, and he could be an FSU fan, and I'm not sure. And I think we have a rule about not having those sorts on the program. <laughs> I kid. I kid. Uh, you're not You're not Florida fan, so. <laughs> All right. I have a guest. Uh, in 2018, he was the communications director for Ron DeSantis' uh, campaign, and then in 2020 was recruited to uh, be the communications director for Senator Kelly Loeffler's campaign, and now working with an outside group on the Georgia Senate race uh, against Raphael Warnock, the newest member of the Senate, uh, beat David Perdue by a, a few thousand votes, and uh, no, I guess beat, beat uh, Senator Loeffler there. Uh, and it was it was Ossoff who beat 
Purdue. And um, now we got Warnock in the Senate, and he's only there because he's filling out Johnny Isaacson's term. So he's up again on the ballot in November. You got the Arizona Senate race. Mark Kelly won that race, and he will be on the ballot. That's the Democrat. And then Warnock here in Georgia, the other Democrat, these two could actually flip the U.S. Senate, uh, taking out these two Democrats. And the polling out there is remarkably good for Republicans in both states. These races matter. And this one in Georgia with Warnock, who is revealing himself to be far more liberal than he claimed to be on the campaign trail, turns out Senator Leffler was right about everything she said about him. And one of the people who helped message that and is now going to hopefully save the Senate and, and bring it back to the GOP, Stephen Lawson, welcome to the program. Hey, Eric, great to be here with you today. Now let's get this out of the way. FSU? No, not FSU. No, I'm 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 actually a Florida fan, so I don't know if that's that's better <laughs> well, or worse. We, for we, you, we'll so. we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Uh, the all, the hey, all but I'm the cheering national for Georgia game. in the national Good. championship game. As, as, as all right-thinking people should be. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm not a betting person. I, I don't gamble. I don't bet. But I got roped into this bet on on a TV news program that if Georgia loses next week, I have to wear Alabama gear. And I had a concussion when I did it. That's my excuse. And, oh, God help me. But nonetheless, I, that's not why we're here. I think you, you might be safe. I think you might be safe. I hope so. I, I really right. do. All right. Now, now, let's get into this because we've got this race in Georgia where I am. Uh, and I got a national audience here that's listening, and I, I, I want to explain to everyone out of the gate that uh, this seat in Georgia, Raphael Warnock's seat, literally shapes the makeup of the United States Senate. And a lot of people don't realize, I mean, he said he was progressive, but I don't know that they took him at his word or realized he was as progressive as he actually is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's one of a couple of races, Eric, that can totally – uh, tip the balance in the Senate, and and I think we've we've got to take advantage here in Georgia. Uh, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Raphael Warnock has been a rubber stamp for for Joe Biden's disastrous policy uh, in Washington. He has voted 100 percent of the time with Joe Biden. I think that's that's a stat that that not a lot of people in Georgia uh, have realized, but they are kind of waking up to. I mean, we've got skyrocketing inflation. We've got the crisis at the border. We've got the supply chain backlogs, rampant crime, obviously here in Atlanta, as you're aware of, but really across the country. Uh, and Raphael Warnock has, has done nothing uh, to solve any of those problems. Uh, in fact, I think if you poll Georgians today, much like if you poll people across the country uh, and ask them, are you better off now than you were uh, a year ago? The answer is no. Uh, and I think we need to send someone like Herschel Walker uh, to the United States Senate to fix that, to unite our state unite our country and, and solve the problems that are that are facing uh, everyday Jordan, Georgians and everyday Americans. Well, you now you, you mentioned Walker because I'm intrigued by this. I, I'm not persuaded he's the, the best candidate, but I realize he's the front runner. The polling has him in a dominant position. Uh, President Trump is backing him. And frankly, he's got the highest name ID and it's very positive in the state across the board. And it's kind of a unique situation there where you have a a candidate that President Trump is supporting in Georgia where it looks like the whole GOP is going to rally to him. Uh, and why do you think that, that he's kind of the, the standout figure here who could really beat Warnock? Well, I think he's bringing something to the table that I don't think all of the other candidates have. And that's somebody that can unite uh, our state. He's got, obviously... 
um, sky high name ID. He, he's someone who is, uh, you know, really Georgia's favorite son, uh, somebody who obviously won a, a Heisman Trophy at the University of Georgia, but is also, uh, you know, in his business career, in community service, somebody who uh, has been able to step up to the challenge, uh, to unite people, to bring people together. Uh, and really, I, I think a lot of his messaging it has been very well received, Eric. I think he's somebody who's saying, look, I, I, can, I can help solve the inflation problem that we've got. I'm somebody that is going to get into the Senate on day one uh, and, and help with the labor shortage somebody who's going to stand with law enforcement to keep our community safe, somebody who is going to empower our students and teachers uh, and, and teach things that, that are going to unite us rather than divide us. Those are the issues uh, that, that are facing our country, and I think those are the issues that, that are resonating very well with, with not just Georgia voters but across the country, and I think that's why he, he's going to ultimately be successful. Now, let me talk to you, Stephen, just for a minute. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to, to Stephen Lawson. He's a political strategist. He, he's worked for DeSantis, Kelly Leffler, working with an outside group now here in Georgia on the Senate race here. I want to just spend a moment with you on the uh, not the politics of this, but the strategy of this. How do outside groups like what you're working with uh, work? And, and, and what's your vision of what you guys specifically in, in your organization should be doing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I tell people we are the 34 and 22 is the air support uh, for Herschel Walker's ground game. And, and obviously, uh, that, that's certainly a message uh, voters here in Georgia can, can resonate with and, and understand. Uh, but the simple uh, fact of the matter is there is uh, so much money on the left coming pouring into not just Georgia, as you know, Eric, but across the country. And what we are really trying to do is, is fight not only for Herschel Walker, so that he has a, uh, a, you know, a competitive advantage in this race. Uh, obviously, Stacey Abrams and her dark money allies are, are pouring hundreds of millions of dollars uh, into Georgia. And, and so really, our focus is to, to help combat that. Uh, but we're also going to be spending time, uh, whether it's uh, paid media, television, digital, polling, grassroots events, uh, exposing Raphael Warnock and holding him accountable. You know, uh, I, I think in many ways, uh, unfortunately, he got uh, really a free pass last last time. And, and the media uh, in the last nine months has run cover and, and given him a free pass uh, once again. Uh, our objective and our goal is to hold him accountable, uh, again, for the, the skyrocketing inflation, the, the crisis that we've got at the border, uh, the crime that is out of control in Atlanta, uh, the inflation again in Atlanta. Atlanta has the highest inflation rate in the country, Eric, 7.9%. Uh, and, and Raphael Warnock is spending every waking hour uh, talking about how to take over our elections in Georgia, uh, opposing fo photo ID, and, and, and you know, it, it's just totally disconnected with where Georgian's focus is at. And, and that's what 34 and 22 is going to be uh, trying to hold him accountable for. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, I actually am amazed by that with Warnock in the Senate that he, he really hasn't been focused on things. I think all the polls in Georgia show people care about, whether it's crime or education or the economy, inflation, uh, the border. Uh, he's single-mindedly focused on this Voting Rights Act thing. And, and I guess I get it, given that he was at uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, Martin Luther King's church. Uh, this is an issue he cares about and has always cared about. But 
you it seems to me kind of tone deaf when you got Georgians whose businesses are closing up shop because they don't have enough labor. You've got a massive flood of illegal immigrants across the border, and he's not involved in any one of those things. He wasn't even involved in bringing some of these big economic projects into Georgia. That's right. No, there, there's a total disconnect and a total lack of leadership, uh, unfortunately, with this seat uh, in, in Washington. He's done nothing to, to solve the, uh, the labor shortages that our, our state is unfortunately seeing. Uh, again, the rampant crime, 158 homicides, uh, you know, uh, in Atlanta last year, Eric, uh, the, the supply chain backlogs that are impacting every family. Uh, you, you know, we, we, uh, a couple of Metro Atlanta, uh, uh, school districts, as you know, uh, went back to virtual learning this week. Uh, and, and Rafi Warnock has, has said nothing about it. Uh, he, he was in favor of lockdowns. Uh, we have the, the Boston bomber, uh, just yesterday, uh, that got a stimulus check, uh, while he was in jail. Uh, Rafael Warnock and every other Democrat in the United States Senate voted to send convicted felons in jail a stimulus check. I mean, it, it's just totally out of control. Uh, Georgians want someone who will lead from the front, someone who will speak up uh, on the issues that matter most. Uh, and and, and uh, that's exactly what Herschel Walker is going to do, and it's a far cry from what we have now. I, I, I can't actually wait to see the the ad that comes out on the Boston bomber getting the stimulus check because that, that's such a, <laughs> such a powerful visual um, and, and the absurdity of it. Now, real quick, before you go, and I don't want to put you on the spot with this question, but we're going to have a divisive gubernatorial primary in Georgia. Do you have any concerns about the divisiveness of that primary spilling over into uh, Republican voter grievances and showing up in November? I don't. And, and I've told people, you know, maybe I'm an outlier. Maybe I'm the, the optimistic outlier here and that I think after May, Eric, I think we are all going to be united. And I think Republicans, as you know, across the country, but also here in Georgia, are going to be in a very strong position. Uh, I think we're going to come together. We always do. Uh, but at the same time, if we if we as an organization uh, take our eye off of this Senate race for one second, uh, Rafael Warnock will get reelected. And we cannot let that happen. And, and so that is our singular focus is keeping the eye on the prize, uh, exposing Warnock, and, and making sure that Herschel Walker gets elected in November. Uh, Stephen, I, I'm a little older than you, so i got to give you some advice. Always be a pessimist, and you'll never be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> man, man, what do the British say about soccer? It's the hope that kills you? There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm glad you could stop by and, and talk on this, and, and feel free to come back. Uh, it, it's such a, it's such a, regardless of people's feelings in the primary and what you guys are doing, the, the, this taking out Warnock, making people understand his record, uh, it's such a valuable, important thing. I'm glad you guys are out there doing what you're doing. Uh, if you don't mind, because it totally slips my mind, I, I'll blame it on the concussion. Uh, the, the actual name of the of the super PAC. Yeah, it's 34 and 22. Uh, so you can check us out at 34in22.com. Uh, that's a, obviously a, a play on Herschel's number and, and the year that he's running in. So we would love to get your support um, for your listeners. And uh, Eric, uh, great to be with you and, and look forward to coming back on. You too. Happy New Year to you. Thanks very much. Stephen Lawson, uh, just great guy, uh, generally. is a. have I've gotten to know him while he was working with Kelly Loeffler. Uh, super sharp. 
I, I can't express to you guys enough between Arizona and Georgia, but also, you know, you've got to defend Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, uh, looks like he may be running again in Pennsylvania. Pat Toomey is not running again. So there's an open seat in Pennsylvania. So you're going to have those two seats. Uh, you got an opportunity in Ohio with that race where my gosh, the JD Vance and Josh Mandel guys, they're just beating each other up. You almost want to root for injuries. It's gotten so nasty there and, and maybe somebody else will shine in that one. But then in Arizona, you've got the Arizona attorney general, uh, Bronovich who is running and he got that huge Supreme court win on voting issues for conservatives, which kind of undermines all of the current Democrat cases against States like Georgia for their voter laws. Uh, but this Warnock race in Georgia, he's been in there for two years, uh, deeply vulnerable. He literally did vote to give the Sarnayev kid, the Boston bomber, a stimulus check. The kid really got a stimulus check thanks to Raphael Warnock. Uh, and how many people know that? The Democrats voted to give convicted felons stimulus checks. It's bizarre. And yet they did. And that's going to be a huge campaign issue. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, there's a lot of other national news going on out there. But you're not going to hear it on the main news today because all they want to do is have grievance mongering about January 6th. So I will cover the news for you so you don't even have to turn them on. Really glad to have you guys with me across the country today, and I am happy to take your phone calls. It is 877 877- 97 Eric 877-973-7425 if you would like to be a part of the program. Now, uh, real quick, I got a couple of things I want to get out of the way before I, I actually get back into any other phone calls. Uh, one of which is I find this story deeply fascinating and hilarious. So I was, I, I don't normally listen to National Public Radio. But a buddy of mine said he was listening the other day, and it was all hysterical outrage about the Republicans and and January 6th and comparing it to Pearl Harbor and comparing it to 9-11. Very much like Kamala Harris did in her speech this morning, which was crazy. What a bad speech. But it's hilarious now they're having racial strife at National Public Radio. This is from the Washington Post. NPR has taken pride in its efforts to diversify its ranks of on-air hosts with hiring of many black and Latino journalists to lead its signature news programs. But now the public radio giant is continuing with an exodus of the very same talent. On Tuesday, it was Abby uh, Audie Cornish, the co-host of NPR's daily news magazine, All Things Considered, who announced she would be leaving at the end of the week. Other prominent on-air personalities of color to depart NPR's airways recently include Weekend Editions uh, host Garcia Navarro, who left to the New York Times, Morning Edition host King, who, who left in November for Vox Media. That would be Noel King. Uh, and, and then, um, yeah, King has gone to Vox Media. And then Joshua Johnson is joining MSNBC. In addition, NPR in recent months lost the stars of weekly programs and podcasts who were people of color. Some see a pattern, others a problem. And Audi Cornish's announcement led to an airing of grievances that clearly uh, they're hemorrhaging hosts from marginalized backgrounds. There must be something wrong at NPR, the very liberal organization. What I find notable that no one seems to want to comment on because they're obsessed with this is look at all of these NPR hosts who are jumping ship to liberal outlets. The New York Times, MSNBC, Vox Media, now, of course, NPR 
pretends that it's unbiased. But, you know, NPR gets taxpayer dollars. It is public radio. It depends on taxpayer dollars. And yet it is one of the most news uh, liberal news outlets in the country after MSNBC. And white people love NPR. If you are a rich white person, the odds are you have NPR on your car. You probably have it programmed in in your car. And you as a rich white person probably have your NPR or your PBS tote. Make sure everyone knows you donated. Instead of donating to Jesus, you donate to the radio and TV gods of NPR and PBS to make sure everyone knows you care. And you're for truthful news, whatever. And yet they're having all of this internal strife. NPR's chief spokeswoman, Isabel Lara, told, said Tuesday, the Washington-based organization regrets losing its journalists, but they have plenty of other journalists of color who are filling the ranks of the departed. One of them, though, is an Asian man. (laughs) Intersectionalism is going to get you every time. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm just fascinating uh, that we've got this fight here at NPR with a bunch of non-white journalists and people on the outside now just excoriating them. And here's part of the problem. You know, all these political things for people who are not religious anymore, religion doesn't go away. It just takes new forms and it's taken the form of the political intersectionality. And so you've poured your donations into NPR. You've got your coffee mug and your tote. And it turns out you you rich, secular white people are now upset at the way they've treated their non-white hosts who they've given coveted spots to, but it's still not good enough. These people will never be happy. And you know the odd thing here, the interesting thing here is how much better paid a lot of these guys at National Public Radio are than the people who are in the private radio industry. Doesn't get commented on a lot, but the salaries are kind of impressive when you compare them to your privately held companies out there who are trying to still keep radio on the air. But my gosh, it's just, it's become the intersectional nightmare at NPR. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 